Dr. Stephen Barant is a doctor in family practice in the suburbs of Chicago. Many people of faith have some measure of struggle in knowing how to integrate their faith in some overt kind of way, and balancing that with sensitivity to a workplace environment and relationships. Steve is confident that in his workplace, his patients would not only be served well by his medical knowledge, but also by his spiritual wisdom and encouragement. But he says he came by that spiritual wisdom the hard way. When I was 25, I was diagnosed with a very serious cancer in my knee. And it all started probably about three years back from that, where I was having quite a significant amount of pain in my knee. And the only way I could get the pain to go away was to go running, because it would with the movement caused so much um, discomfort that the pain would just disappear after about 10 minutes. So I became a fairly avid runner for a, for a long time, just so I didn't have to have pain in my knee when well, I would walk. What were doctors saying about the pain? Or did you go to the doctor? Oh, yeah. I probably had gone to four to eight doctors at different times. They did... They tried surgeries. There wasn't a lot of technology back then with the CAT scans and MRIs that we have today. And they had all come up with, you know, we don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, my brother, who was an orthopedic resident at that time, he used to go running with me, and he'd see how well I'd run, and he'd go, Steve, you know, you're just going to have to learn Mm -hmm. to live with this. And I kept saying, no, I can't do that. Would today, would they be able to diagnose it more easily? Probably an MRI scan would uh-huh. have picked that out very quickly. Well, let's let's go back, though. Like you, so you in your 20s, you, you've described to me that you weren't exactly on the straight and narrow. That's correct. <laughs> I, I had graduated college. I was a teacher. And, you know, I'd been brought up in a family of um, Lutherans in my parents. We went to church, but I really didn't have an individual relationship with the Lord. And I was, you know, with my college friends and partying and, you know, teaching. It was... What did you teach? I taught um, high school chemistry, physics, and biology. I was like the college prep department in a small consolidated school district. Mm. So after... um, I had been applying to medical school and thinking this is what I wanted to do. I was using the teaching to help pay my my undergrad um, courses off. So you've got a problem with your knee, and at age 25, things kind of shift for you. There's been this problem in your knee. It's painful. When you run, it's less painful. Doctors don't know what it is. Your brother's in residency. He <laughs> doesn't know. But suddenly, um, you're diagnosed. Yeah, I um, I had a friend whose father was a chief of staff at a hospital in Grand Rapids, and he saw and listened to my problems. He said, let's send you to these hotshot orthopedics where, where I work. And I went and saw him, and they said, Steve, we think there's a nerve issue going on that's outside the joint, so we're going to have you see the plastic surgeon. He's going to clean up all the previous surgeries that you had, and we're going to see if uh, if that's what's going on. So I went to um, see this plastic surgeon, and he set me up for surgery. I remember it like it was yesterday on a Friday afternoon, 
And I'm You're sitting 25. 25 years old. I'm sitting in the OR and he's waiting for the anesthesiologist to come down. And the guy got pulled away and he said, you know, Steve, this is going to be superficial. So I'm just going to go ahead and do this. If you don't mind, we'll do it under local anesthetic. And I'm like, well, I was pre-med at that time. I thought that'd be cool. So he started <laughs> opening up my knee and he gets it opened up and he says, Steve, I don't see anything here. And I thought, well, I was half expecting that because I, of everything I'd been through in previous years. And he started probing around. And as he probed, he hit something, and that was the pain I had. Mm. And he said, well, let me numb it up a little farther. So under local anesthetic, he numbed up my knee, and he would foul my direction when I would tell him the pain. Mm. And ultimately, he had my whole knee opened up under local anesthetic, and he found this tumor. And he goes, I don't know what this is, but I know it doesn't belong here. Was it buried deep, or how did it happen? I just remember seeing it as being fairly opened, you know, probably an inch and a half down from the uh, incision site. So he removed it, sewed it back up. I got off the table, and I bent my knee with no pain for the first time Mm -hmm. in five years. Mm It was truly a a miracle. I was writing letters to all the previous doctors, informing them and thanking them for their help. And you got it solved now. I thought I had it solved. Mm -hmm. Well, two weeks later, I got a letter, or I got a call from the um, patient, or from the father of the um, that I'd been working with of my friend, Mm -hmm. and he said, "Steve, this is a." cancer and it's serious and there's only a couple places in the country that have even seen these so you're going to have to go and have this looked at further and that was pretty much all he told me and from then on um, I ended up out at we looked at uh, Mayo Clinic uh, MD Anderson and Sloan Kettering and I ended up out at Mayo Clinic Mm -hmm. Cancer was this? I never called, hear of anybody getting cancer in their knee. It's a synovial cell sarcoma. It's a like synovia is. is the covering over the bone, mm-hmm. like where the cartilage in that is. It's pretty but unusual. It, very, especially because it was outside of the joint. So that's why all the other surgeons had missed it. When they went in to do the yeah. scope, they couldn't see anything with the scope. It was really outside the joint. So you're 25, teaching pre med parting hard, having fun, not really all that serious about life, boom. Absolutely. Yeah. So I end up out at Mayo Clinic, and I'm talking to the doctor, and he's telling me what he thinks we should do. And I'm like, do you think you really need to go back in and do surgery there? He was telling me, basically, I would either have a large resection where they would have to fuse my knee or if they found one cancer cell in the process, they were going to have to amputate. No. And I'm like, boy, can't we just leave wow. it and see how it goes? And he said, Steve, I'm not really worried about your leg. I'm worried about your life. These are the type of cancers that once they start, they just explode, and then it's too late. So he goes, we really have to be aggressive in how we treat this. So he took me into surgery, and I didn't know until I woke up after the surgery and could wiggle my toes and see both mm. feet there that I that they hadn't found anything and from, your leg wasn't amputated no I was very fortunate and from that point on I spent almost all my free time going down to the chapel which is actually a large church 
attached to the hospital out there in Mayo Clinic, mm. and I had some long talks mm-hmm. with the Lord. Mm-hmm. In fact, the nurses got tired. They're like, why don't we just move your bed down there? <laughs> really? So you were searching. Oh, yeah. This, for... this was something that was bigger than I could handle. I It was tearing my mind apart as a as a person who likes to be in control like all of us do. This was totally taken away from me as far as control. And I knew right then and there that I had to give my life up to the Lord Mm -hmm. and that whatever he wanted to do with me, I was game. Mm -hmm. And I, so that's where, that's where I left the Mayo Clinic with, uh, you know, just praying and getting back into teaching to, you know, let the good Lord lead me. So no more cancer present. Correct. Yeah. But your knee's straight. My knee your is knee fused. Your knee doesn't, yeah, it's fused. They That's had right. to do that. They had to do that because to, to make sure that all the cells were gone, they had to take so much tissue that would have made the knee unstable. Ah, okay, okay. So now you're 25, 26. Life looks different. Yeah. It, two weeks after I got out, I um, was trying, was waiting for the Lord to tell me what what did He have in store mm-hmm. for me, and and really trying to decide: Do I take the insurance money from being a teacher and mm-hmm. you know go and do something, or you know do I still keep moving towards medical school? Mm-hmm. And two weeks after I got out, I was accepted to med school, mm-hmm. and it was obvious to me that the good Lord wasn't done with me. Mm-hmm. So. Any obvious change then in those weeks and months later with friends, with, um, you know, your own life perspective? Would they say, wow, Steve's different from post-surgery? Well, there goes the doctor's ring, of course. (laughs) We expect that. Whoever called for help right now, they'll get that answering service, huh? (laughs) Yeah, as a matter of fact, my... One of my best friends and confidants um, when I was a teacher couldn't handle it. And when I got back and I needed to talk, um, she was just nowhere to be found. And we weren't in an emotional relationship. We were just good teacher friends. What couldn't she handle? Um, The fact, I think, that she had a person in her life who might not be around for her. And her mom had just been going through. I'd been helping her get through a, a very difficult time with her mom that was diagnosed with uh, um, ovarian cancer. Mm. And to this day, I don't think she even knows that, um, you know, that I've survived all this. Wow. Yeah. She, she couldn't handle it. Just was too hard. Yeah. And I had to give her the space that, mm. you know, if that really was where she was at, that I couldn't put, I had enough issues to deal with. Mm. It really did help bring my whole family to the Lord at that time. I sat down with everybody and you know, I had ended up in medical school, and that was a tough one because still emotionally I was going through a lot of ups and downs while trying to still survive in medical school. And I was in some um, counseling, and, you know, I sat down with the family and said, you know, this is something that's changing my life and that I've given myself to the Lord. And my parents, they were very pleased. And mm-hmm. my older brother, who was the orthopedist mm-hmm. that told me to uh, that I should, you know, may just have to live with this, um, this actually brought him to the Lord, too. Oh, wow. So he told me, he said, Steve, 
I'll never tell another patient when they have knee pain that there's mm-hmm. something they'll have to live with. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm sensing that this is still a tender story for you. Oh, it is. Um, for a long time, I haven't talked about it. Uh, I have quite a few patients, and when cancer comes up, I always bring it up because it's a level that I can relate to and they can relate to me. And it really has given me a piece that I think that's what, one of the reasons the Lord put me in this position. Um, but it was, it was a patient of mine that was a pastor and said, Steve, I really would like to have you tell your story in front of my congregation. And I'm like, well, no, this has always been something private. And he said, Steve, this is too important for you to keep private. And uh, so I went to his church, and we had, he um, interviewed me during his sermons uh, in the morning and, and late morning. And uh, I, that's when I started feeling like, you know what, I do need to use this to talk to people. And, and if it's a way that it will help draw people closer to Christ, then, you know, so be it. Examination room, then you felt more of a freedom and maybe even a call to, to access the story, you know, your own story of my, moving it changed through cancer my, and how that changed you spiritually. Absolutely. And it changed my whole focus on medicine, where it not only was taking care of patients medically, but following them through life from the beginning to the end and really trying to build their spiritual life up and and hopefully if they didn't have one to draw them towards at least thinking about it. So what are what are some experiences or situations that you've had where you uh, began to go that route, you know? How, how do you know like I suppose you have to be a bit sensitive. Um but how do you know like Maybe when God's spirit prompts you and you're like, you know, I need to say something here. It's right. It's appropriate. Well, probably the easiest way is at that 40 or 50-year-old physical that most people don't want to come in for, but they realize they're getting old and they, if they want to take care of themselves and try to prevent something, you know, more serious from happening, that they'll come in. And Well, that's when we get the big C news, right? That's that exactly right. We have to right. have a colonoscopy. That's, that's one of them, yep. <laughs> So what I usually do at that visit is I'll talk to my patients and tell them, you know what, the good Lord's given you the first 40 or 50 years as gimmies. These next ones you got to work for. And that helps to open up and, and talk to them. And I usually, right at around 50, start talking about, you know, we're not going to live forever, and that includes you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll throw in the caveat that my grandmother lived to 105, that <laughs> she tried it and she still didn't make it. <laughs> But um, that usually will open it up, and I'll ask them if they've ever thought about, um, you know, where they where they stand with afterlife situations. Mm-hmm. And some of them will open up. Some of them, it's just that first door that I try to open, mm-hmm. and then knowing that they're going to come back, you know, I will keep pursuing that. Yeah, you know, we're going to keep seeing you, right? <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yes, it's a relationship that you're that you're building. Um. How about in your practice? Like, you know, you're in a practice with other doctors. So what is it like with you talking freely about spiritual things? Well, I'm blessed because I'm in a group that has a a very strong um, interest in in, um, 
heritage with with being open with Christ and having a very strong faith-based organ, um, group. So we talk a lot. Um, we're comfortable. There's many of us that are very comfortable praying with our patients. Mm. So it's interesting. I ended up taking a more of an administrative role in our group because as we were getting bigger, somebody had to kind of say, how are we going to direct this? And not that I liked administration, but it actually became something that I had to do on the tangent that, you know, we, the Lord took us from a, two groups of two up to almost 20 providers mm-hmm. in a matter of 10 years. And that was a challenge in itself. Mm-hmm. But having a group that everybody has a very same, um, feeling and a lot of in faith-based um, values has made that very easy. But not everybody is of that ilk, right? So That's correct. Okay. We we look when we've brought physicians in, we've tried to find people who we thought fit into our mold and mm-hmm. just like our patients we talk about our faith okay. with our new doctors that mm-hmm. come in, we gradually over time talk about our faith that way too. Mm-hmm. So then they're generally okay with that and on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I see we, tell, we tell people right up front that we are a faith-based organization, and if that's a problem, you know, we, we understand. Um, what are some of the, okay, what are the... No, what are what are the prevalent things going on? I don't I don't want to. I mean, illness is illness, and it, it can be very serious. So I want to honor that. But um, I'm wondering if there are illnesses of our age that you address, and that somehow your faith connects or integrates with that. Well, without a doubt, all of the things that are happening in society today are putting a lot of people into anxiety, depression. There's there's very little um, control that people have in their lives, like, like with their jobs and things that are going on. With a lot their, of stress. Absolutely. And that really becomes a strong focus to really um, focus in on when somebody comes in and they are just stressed out. Because especially men, they don't come in until they're, they're really hitting the bottom there. Um, so it, it really is a... A good starting point to really discuss with them. Mm. Are people looking for a pill these days to please write me a prescription to help the pain, the emotional pain go away? And that's often very necessary. They s- can. Um, I think it's our job to really dig in and find out where their depression or anxiety is coming from. Um, if it's something that has a strong family history and has been going on a, a, quite a while and it's just culminated to this point, maybe medication is is something important. But I can give you an example of the same pastor that interviewed me at his church came in and said, Steve, I'm depressed and, mm-hmm. you know, things just aren't going the way I want to. And he said, I think I need some medication. Mm-hmm. And we talked and I said, well, what are your issues? And he said, well, I always thought the Lord had planned me to, you know, be in front of a mega church. And I said, well, I thought the church you had me in front of was pretty big. <laughs> and he goes, well, I always thought it was going to go bigger. And I said, you know, we talked further and he said, I said, you know, I think God 
he has maybe some different plans than what you think. And I don't think this is something that we should be treating with medication. I think this is something you need to be exploring more and praying with. And I asked him if he had a counselor, and he had a real good confidant who was a um, elder in the church. And, you know, probably six months later, he came back, and he said, You're, you were right mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. So, Wow, that's wonderful. What about the people that come in who are stressed and then they don't have a faith to connect to? So then you speak to them a little differently. That's a challenge because I'll try to put my faith right in front of them. And if that means talking about how I didn't have a faith, I'll go right to that point. But, you know, if if the blinders are still on, I end up many times, you know, we'll talk about Okay, let's give you something to help mm-hmm. relax you a little mm-hmm. bit. And those are people who I'll follow, mm-hmm. you know, very closely. And I'll suggest, why don't you, you know, pick up the Bible? Or if you had a church you went to, you know, go back and mm-hmm. um, see if that's something that that you could explore further. And try to just nudge them each visit, you know, a little bit. I've, I've not had yet somebody who said, you know, okay, this is too much. I'm out of mm-hmm. here. So I think if you if you walk that path very gingerly and um, carefully that you can do it without really putting the patient at at a difficult position. Well, you really have a place of power in that examination room because we're not doctors. We don't know what our problem is. We've come to see you. So you have this kind of unique place. My power is really comes and influence comes from the Lord. Well, but you know what I'm saying is you've got MD, you know, you're a doctor. And so... You have this opportunity, I guess, is what I was driving at. I know God has enabled you to do this, but he's also given you a place of power where people will listen, I guess is what I was saying. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and not all of us have that, but you as a doctor, you know, you've got the credentials. And I, I wish more of us could would use those credentials to, to help build some stronger um, expressions of their faith, you know, in the in the office, and that's one of mm. the things we try to work with in our in our group. But it is one of those things that um, you know comes with the territory. And there are times when you know you have to tell your patient, "I don't know what's going on." Mm. Um, I I had a case um, just this year where a patient I'd been seeing for probably ten, maybe fifteen years. She came in, and she was disoriented and just not herself. And, you know, she'd been into the ER, and they didn't know her. So they were like, well, you know, you've got a virus. And finally, after they, she came in a couple times, it was obvious. And then I finally got called, and we put her in. And we had the neurologist see her, and we could not. We did spinal taps, tests, and she started getting worse. In fact, today she's in a coma. And to this day, we're not really sure what has happened. We, she ended up going to Northwestern so they could make sure we mm-hmm. did everything, uh, covered all our bases, and they came back saying, you know, repeating everything we did. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget the uh, the day before she she left. I was talking with the family, and I said, you know, I think we've done everything we can, mm-hmm. but I think we need to pray about this mm-hmm. and. I had never, um, we've talked about faith, but never really um, gotten into, because they, they have a house up in, in Wisconsin, too, so they're only around some of the time. Of, uh, 
so we had a, a good prayer and you know I think that's been something that's kept mm. the whole family going is realizing that this is in God's hands and they have to give it up to him I can see you have these ongoing relationships through the process of illness that afford you a follow-up opportunity. Plus, you can also say, I want to see you in a month. <laughs> you can make those opportunities happen within reason, I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it is important, I mean, to follow your patients and, you know, follow them spiritually. Because one of the patients I had la- at the end of last year, she had COPD, which is an obstructive um pulmonary disease from smoking and her lungs were getting worse and she'd come to the conclusion that she was on enough oxygen that it was only going to get worse and she was ready to die and she said you know Dr. Brand I'd like to just get the hospice in here and but before I go I I really you know want you to be there for me and Mm. you know it was Mm. a it was a great way to hand her off from the earth to to Mm. the good lord and you know i i walked out of there after she had died thinking this is what medicine is all about Mm. that we need to follow our patients right through the end you know the end of their life on earth i can see it's fully integrated for you as a person and that must bring huge satisfaction I don't know I, why I the good Lord's blessed me so much. Well, you know, I, I noticed that you refer to him that way, the good Lord. And tell me about that. Well, you know, I probably started saying that more. A couple of years, five years ago, my youngest son, who's 12 now, was probably about seven. And he said, you know, Dan, I feel so bad for you having a knee that you can't bend. And I turned to him and I said, Alex you don't need to feel bad for me. I said, this knee has made me into the person that I am. And I said, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change one thing. The good Lord has given me this life. He's given me you and your brother and and your mom. These are all things that I don't know where I'd been Mm -hmm. if this wouldn't have happened to me. And I don't even want to think about what it would have been like to not go through this. This made me into who I was. And he was like, wow. The goodness of the Lord. That's right. Yeah, you know, the difficulty. You know, I was asking about what are the, the issues, the health issues of today. And of course, one is this whole idea of generation being called to be caregivers. Uh, part of that reason is because of our, our health care system, you know, we're called to do more on our own. We're not in the hospital for five to ten days anymore. We're out of there quick or in and out in one day, or we're called upon to give care to family members in ways that maybe in the past professionals might have been more in charge of that on site. Um, so I, I know that you said um, you gave some advice to a friend of mine last year whose mom had had a stroke, and she didn't know what a next step would be, you know, for, for her mom. Should I bring her into the home? Can I care for her? You know, trying to assess her needs. And you gave her a couple of sentences that really helped it come together, and I thought were beautiful, about the role of family and the role of professionals in in giving care. As as people age, we all many times are going to fall into situations where we've got loved ones who are as they are getting older, we've been their their providers and their caretakers 
And at some point, that role has to switch from from being the provider and the family member to being the provider is too much work. And you always have to be the family member, the, the person who gives that person the support and the love that they need. And many times, a lot of people try struggle with that because they want to do both. We and have a lot of guilt. Absolutely. You know. And it, there's a time, and I think that's one of the things physicians can help work with their patients to let them know it's okay to let somebody come in and be a caregiver. And whether that means having somebody come to the house or having somebody go to, you know, a nursing home, but it's far more important that you be their daughter or their son, Mm -hmm. you know, their family member than it is to be their caregiver when that, when that job just becomes too much. And it is becoming too much. I mean, there's, you know, the onset of Alzheimer's, the prevalence of that and, and stroke and other illnesses. Um, It's really difficult to let go as loving family and let somebody else do that and usually means they have to live somewhere else so we can't control their care. Those are deep waters to go through. They are. It's hard to know when. And it's probably not going to get easier. And it what's really sad is there's situations where this just will separate a family and you know the parents can end up being in a nursing home dying alone or you know not being with uh with their family and that's a real struggle i think that our society has to has to come to grips with thank goodness there are people out there though who who are really drawn to those kind of um professions where they they love working oh, in the nursing homes amen Amen. Yeah. My mom's in one with Alzheimer's for for many years, and we're so grateful for that good care, the people that do the hard work. How does it divide families? Because there's disagreement as how to care for mom and dad, mom or dad. Mm Absolutely. And you definitely see where where the weaknesses in uh, personalities pop up in, in that, you know, some people have trouble dealing with dying, period. And when they have a family member that's going through that, mm. they just mm-hmm. pull away, and they can't mm. be there. And if you're dealing with a small family, the burden oftentimes just falls on one person. That that becomes very difficult. Mm. And I try to work through with with my patients when they're that one person and telling them, you know, this is hard for your other family member, and you need to you know you need to understand that. And sometimes. That is, you know, the death of a parent ends up becoming, you know, something that divides mm-hmm. the relationship between siblings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, you know, you got to have a lot of caring, a lot of love to to get through those situations. Well, you kind of get on, in on the family dynamic that's been going oh, on yeah. for decades. <laughs> so you said earlier that, you know, we all like to be in control, but you... You know, how do you, I guess you have to learn when to walk away and let the family decide what they're going to do. You just have to say, here's what I would advise. Um, Yeah, sometimes it's more than that, though, because if you let families, you know, try to come to conclusions on their own, many times they'll either come to the wrong conclusion uh, in the sense that they'll want to take a parent home who that's not a really good, safe situation. Or they may, you know, just 
drag their feet and not wanting to to address it and you know especially if they're in the hospital we'll just keep them in the hospital and today that just doesn't that happen. doesn't work yeah I can see you you have to be a psychologist too these days <laughs> that's why I'm a family doc I think we're kind of the jack of all trades <laughs> well let me ask you how hopeful you are for for health care in our country and I know that's changing your profession and I'm looking at the rich history of particularly Catholics who were the educators and the health providers for centuries um, in society especially in European nations uh, centuries ago, and um, that's kind of been lost. And we look to now the government more and more to provide for us. How do you see um, the church, the evangelical church, factoring in to the health care dilemma? Yeah, that's a good question. And if you can answer this question correctly, you'll be a zillionaire. <laughs> you'll be president. <laughs> yeah, I... I don't know that there is the a good answer there. I can tell you my concerns. Um, healthcare, as it becomes more bureaucratic and run by the government, that it it puts patients and families on where they they look to the government for all their answers. And my whole life, I've tried to direct patients towards looking towards God for their answers, and it. It has crossed my mind more than once that if I have to move in a direction where the government provides everything and it just, you know, people say, well, I don't need to worry about this because my insurance, you know, will take care of this and that. I don't want to be a enabler that really fosters people moving away from developing a faith and having mm-hmm. a faith to you know, having their all their faith in the government taking care mm-hmm. of them. It's, mm-hmm. it's a real struggle, mm-hmm. and I think it's something this country is going to have to come to grips with. I mentioned uh, the Catholic influence for years in, in health care. Do you wish that evangelicals would be more on the ground in providing community clinics or getting guys like men and women like you to do some pro bono work or... You know, is that a part of this mix? Oh, yeah. In in our area here, we have the DuPage Free Clinic that physicians donate time for for, for all the patients who, don't, who fall through the cracks. We also have in our office um, and many of the offices through the organization that I work with where um, it's called Access to Page, where patients can... Um, come and get health care from us right in our office without having to even go to the free clinic mm-hmm. at no charge. And the mm-hmm. hospital has these um, programs available where any tests, surgeries need to be done, they, they do them pro bono. Mm-hmm. So there is, there is a lot out there that's available that physicians do behind the scenes that, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the general public doesn't, isn't even aware of. Yeah. Well, maybe there's some some in the medical field listening to us today that might get an idea to start something like that in their own community. It seems, Steve, like you are um, always on call. You're always looking for opportunities to connect to faith. And I think sometimes in our churches, um, you know, we're taught that we should share the good news. 
you know, Jesus, good news, you know, he's the savior come to redeem and recover us. And, and, but it sounds so ominous and scary. And, and yet you make it sound like you've just woven it in to your vocation. I, I try. It's, there, there was an initial situation where I had um, a friend of mine who wasn't close to Christ that passed away, and I had one conversation with him, and I always felt like, boy, maybe I should have been able to talk more about it. And that kind of stimulated me towards, you know, keeping this in the back of my mind when I walk into the exam rooms. And through a message that I heard um, Bill Hybels talk about, um, he started making it a little easier for me when he he basically said in his message that just start by telling your story. And I've been blessed with this story that has a lot of uh, a lot of love in it from from the Lord that's put me into where I am today. That um, that I've used that and by speaking my story. It's been a great opening for talking to my patients. Dr. Stephen Barant is a family practice physician in the suburbs of Chicago. I'm Melinda Schmidt, and Josh Kloss is our producer. Find us online at bringtomind.org and on Facebook and Twitter at BTM Podcast.